0: Welcome to the Fishbowl, the podcast where I record conversations about business, entrepreneurship, and other valuable topics. Fishbowl episode nine. I'm here today with a very special guest, a magician. His name is Seth Newstein. I'm your podcast host, Mark Sotomayor, and we're going to talk about Seth's rise to magician awesomeness. Uh, He speaks at a lot of different large business conferences, but I'll hand it over to Seth right now to tell you a little bit about what he does. Oh, thank you, Mark. It's a pleasure to be on your podcast.
1: Uh, And actually, that's where Mark and I met was I attend and perform at a lot of different networking events around town, and so I actually have a... Uh, a partnership with the uh, me group for their for their networking events for their me university and i help come and help make those events a little bit more interesting a little more meaningful for people since we're dealing with entrepreneurs we're dealing with some people who are businessmen and therefore have are a little bit more outgoing but we're also dealing with a lot of people who are just people with really great ideas and they're passionate about it and they don't social niceties in you know, situations where they're supposed to meet new people isn't necessarily the the best thing for them. Their their skill set, if you will. So we're dealing with uh, engineers, uh, artists, and uh, Scientists and people of that nature. It's a great event. It's a great event. Yeah, and that's why I love his events in particular because they're all about ID exchanges. Now,
0: real quick about that, Michael Morrow, the founder of that, Mm -hmm. just put out a brand new app that will be coming out quite soon, right?
1: Yes, which I'm supposed to meet with him on Thursday and get a whole walkthrough of that. So I can't talk about it yet until he gives me the walkthrough. Awesome.
0: But I'm I'm sure it's awesome. It's a great networking group. You can follow them on Facebook. They also have a website it was called emmy group m e which stood for millennial entrepreneurs but now it's just entre which i think is a sick name for it
1: it is a pretty good name on en- uh, entree technically i entree. believe it's got the accent over the e
0: cool just yeah, like tamo yeah exactly <laughs>
1: Yeah, because you're entering into a new world of profession, professionalism. I can't even mm-hmm. say the word right. <laughs> no worries. No, yeah. But his old product was called Me University, and he's basically just redesigned everything and rebranded it. But it's still designed to help people with everything that they need to uh, to basically to get the tool sets ready. And I can't wait for him to give me a walkthrough of it. But the whole point was that we were at this networking event, and my job there was to be an icebreaker basically. So I meet people and I'm particularly skilled at breaking the ice. It's a skill set that I've developed over the years as part of somebody, somebody who does magic for a living. People always say, well, what's the hardest part? Frequently the hardest part until you get good at it is what I call the approach, which is when you walk up to a group of people just cold you don't know who they are at all and what do you do in order to meet them to get their names to talk to them let alone actually get a chance to perform some magic for them and i have all sorts of tactics for that to the point where one of the things that i do for a living is basically being a professional icebreaker so at a networking event like this i meet everyone and make sure that I know who they are, what they do. And then for the rest of the evening, I'm connecting people saying, oh, you need to meet Mark because Mark is this up-and-coming entrepreneur who is looking for somebody to distribute Te Amo, and you happen to actually be somebody who works in a distributor network, for example. Or maybe Mark, I don't know. I don't think you're looking for a new logo, but just for example, there were some logo designers at one of the events, and maybe I might introduce her to you if you had mentioned that you were looking at rebranding to have a discussion about that. So it's that kind of thing. And then also I perform a little bit of fun, feel-good magic for everybody using cards, coins, borrowed objects, or just even people's thoughts, where they actually are the ones that help make it happen. So we're all participating, making, doing something fun, Uh, the focus for a few minutes. And then by the time I leave, the ice is broken. We're all relaxed. Our guard is let down. And then we can actually exchange ideas because that first awkwardness of meeting people is now shattered and we can actually just be friends and exchange ideas and basically network the way that we're supposed to be there for it. So that's what I'm doing there. And I take that same thing from close up to a lot of... Uh, other events as well so i perform at a lot of client facing events yeah
0: and just to add yeah i've seen seth perform twice at two different networking events and before he performs and after he performs there's just a whole different vibe in the room a different level of camaraderie so to speak as well as uh in-depth networking that happens before and after he really does break the ice Oh, thank you. It, you
1: know, it's funny. I rarely get feedback other than observing how people behave. So it's, I'm going to quote you on that. I'm putting that on my website. Perfect. Beautiful. Because <laughs> that's really nice to know that it's successful. In fact, that's part of why we became friends. Because I like you legitimately, Mark. <laughs> You're a really cool dude. I like you too, sir. And even be, even before I, you ever saw me do magic, when I just came to a couple of the events before I came on as a partner, we just hit it off and became good friends and now that you've actually seen me in action like you said it it really helps the room and i've been introducing lots of people to you and so thank you for having me on the podcast it's a nice uh a nice gesture of thank you for that oh thank you yeah and and that was actually part of it too where you said you see me perform two times you're not counting all the close-up magic that i've done mingling around for people but in the middle of each event i do uh It's not really a stage presentation, per se, because we're not on a stage, but we gather everybody in the office environment or in whatever environment that we're in, kind of in a little bit of a semicircle. And I I also do public speaking, and I give talks on change management. Uh, Actually, I have a talk that I tour around the country called Owning Change or Making Change Work for You. And it's all about a new concept of how you can actually be empowered by change and how change should be adapted to your situation as opposed to you trying to be forced to, change, to fit a change. It just shouldn't work that way. Change should be something that you can actually make worthwhile to you. For any organization or even personally as well, uh, you can really make that fantastic.
0: That's a really interesting thought. Now, right now you do these awesome... Uh, cool icebreakers and incorporate magic but tell me about how you got to the point of doing magic and what made you get into this niche business magic type so to speak
1: see the first question is the one everyone asked me and the second one is the one almost nobody asked me so that's that's awesome to to hear that because people frequently say Seth how did you get started which is the same way most people got started where you know they saw you know a magic clown when they were a kid or they had a relative in this case I had a great uncle uh, who actually he played for the Pittsburgh Pirates and What was he his la- name? That's was, awesome. Oh his name was Lenny Levy. Okay, cool. And he was great he was he was my great uncle great both in name and nature and he played in the fifties, sixties and seventies. Originally he was a catcher. And But he had an eye for talent and coaching, and he was a scout. So actually, he scouted Mazeroski, discovered him, and trained wow. him up. So Mazeroski was his protege. And he also coached people like Wagner and Clemente and all those great other great players from the 50s, 60s, 70s. They all knew him really well. He was their batting coach in particular, and he also was a third baseman coach. So he coached the 1960s World Series that we won, etc. He used to fly in from the old-timers games in the 80s, and I would sit in the dugout with him. And he would perform what you and I would consider to be really bad uncle magic, right? <laughs> but he was trying very hard. But I loved it because I was five years old, and I was sitting in the dugout with all these great players. And he was performing magic for me. And he would do things like uh, his version of the cups and balls or pull coins out of my ears, that kind of uncle stuff. And it was just wonderful and it inspired me. My parents bought me magic kits and I became the kid who did all the kids shows around. And I don't do kids shows anymore. I haven't done a kids show since I was a kid except for maybe once or twice a year I do something for charity, but that doesn't count. Uh, I don't even know how to do a kid show anymore. It's a completely different skill set. Wow. Uh, which brings us to your second question, which is... And the corollary question of why didn't you stop, like most people do after they get bored with it when they're kids. Yeah. So I, I just was always a theater person. I played music as well. I always was involved with helping putting on theater behind the scenes. I have a bachelor's in information sciences and a master's in project management. It's called a PMP, or Project Management Professional. It's a master certification from the Project Management Institute. Uh, and it's a proper master's certification where you need a, a bachelor's and years of experience, and I have to keep up to date with it and earn credits every year, and I still keep that certification active, and that's how I earned a living for most of my life was I started off as just a, a database guy or a programmer, kept finding myself in charge of situations, and I actually helped a few save a few companies from bankruptcy. And uh, also worked on some very innovative entrepreneurial products uh, in the early two thousands. I worked at a company where I was one of the leads to help invent modern big data as we know it, although we didn't call it back that back then. Tell me about then. that experience. Oh, that well, that was interesting. Was so this was a company that in the sixties founded. From a, from a CMU startup, basically.
0: Can you divulge the name of the company?
1: Yeah, Management Science Associates. Very cool. Well, they were called Market Science Associates back then, but when they got into more products, they changed the name to be more universal. And they, So they started from a CMU project that the still owner and founder created, which was basically he invented the concept of business forecasting and data modeling as we know it today. And so he created a company to do that, but that data, that forecast is only as good as the input data for it. So if you're getting garbage data in for your forecast, your forecast is not gonna be very meaningful. So he created something he calls a data factory, which basically takes distributor information from all over the United States and Canada for various products. And those then get sped out into flat files, because we're talking about terabytes of data petabytes of data in some cases, depending on the client, and you have to massage that data and check it for accuracy. You spit it out into flat files that you then sell back at maybe .03 cents a record or whatever the deal was they had with the clients. I wasn't on that side. And then they would usually hire MSA back to do the forecasting with those flat files. So then they knew they had accurate information the whole way through. And we also, because of that, we created a lot of corollary uh, products as well with these data factories that basically, they started out in old legacy systems. If they had gotten as far as they could get, they couldn't handle the, the new amounts of data that we were putting into it. So we had to take them into the 21st century. So around the year 2000, we were taking these old systems, modernizing them with modern concepts that we were literally inventing at the time. Are these
0: like IBM systems, computers and such?
1: Yeah, they were old VMS mainframes. I didn't want to get so technical because I'm not sure about the how technical your audience is. Yeah. That's why I'm speaking so generically. We could talk shop if you want technical details. So.
0: <laughs> I can't talk shop. So. Okay,
1: so good. I I figured that wouldn't be for your audience's interest. Mm-hmm. But we modernized these systems and invented what is now at modern big data. Speaking of IBM, companies like IBM and Amazon are taking that work that we did in the early 2000s and creating brand new systems, which they're putting into the cloud for these new modern, humongous big data systems. So it's always really nice to see that work. And actually, the work that I did uh, for these companies, literally, I've made the world a much better place because of, being able to sell and target products effectively so that way if teamo tea is really successful in pittsburgh but it's not really successful in you know in another city you'll still get orders for it because they can target sell it as opposed to just canceling the whole thing previously before we made these products we would distributors would basically know okay west coast east coast we don't know where it goes beyond that so we're just going to do our sale our marketing for that and so therefore if a product is really successful in the northeast but not the rest of the north it would get canceled because they didn't know how to sell it and how to market it and they would advertise places that wasn't worthwhile
0: that makes sense to me yeah sounds quite intricate though but uh very thankful that things like that exist uh, you know, they say a business's biggest expense is actually their marketing cost, and uh, you can see why, when, uh, of course, it has so much infrastructure built around it, uh, so much you know, memory storage and manpower to really develop these systems uh, with accurate data from beginning to end of the product's uh, life. So that's very fascinating to me. But thanks for sharing that. So what, what happened next?
1: Oh, well, that was that was a job that I actually had while I was earning my bachelor's in information sciences at Pitt. Uh, and uh, they it was very nice of them. They gave me a chance because I happened to know legacy systems and modern systems while I was still earning my bachelor's. So they gave me an opportunity to get a job that normally they would have required someone with a bachelor's to get. So after... That, I stopped working there because they had to lay off about 80% of their workforce temporarily. Uh, 9-11 happened in the middle of all of this. And that caused some of their biggest clients to step back temporarily and put a hold on their services. No matter, even though their services were making the money, because they had to do disaster recovery, they didn't have the liquid capital to pay them and a lot of their other uh, service partners. Wow. But actually, the work that I did for MSA allowed them to weather that. They would have had to close their doors because when I first got there, they were developing all of their systems in parallel. And so their overhead was humongous because they had a hard-coded, unique system for every client. It just And part of what we were doing was we were consolidating everything into one system that was extensible, that, that you could customize with just parameters for every single client, instead of having a separate siloed system for uniquely made with personnel for every client. So because of this, they were actually able to weather that storm and they're stronger than ever because we help to reduce their overhead dramatically.
0: That sounds very cool.
1: Yeah, and actually that and a lot of other companies that I've worked for where I've done similar kinds of um, basically resuscitative kind of work or life-changing work for them. I do a lot of public speaking, like I mentioned, on change management and is talking about how you actually take these experiences and you can find basically what the secret sauce is, what it was that I did that was similar abstractly at each one of these companies formulaically so that way you can apply that to your life and to your organization as well. So you can make a change. Like for example, they had a change where their product took off astronomically and they just threw bodies at it and their overhead was astronomical. It was just unsustainable. And I came in and said, This is not the right way to handle this change pitched it to the bosses and they said, Oh my God, if you really think you can do this, please and I gotta hand it to them for being good bosses with the foresight to let me run with it and suddenly we were redesigning their entire way of doing things because we adapted that change to fit them we owned that change we said hey we're going to take this change this great which was a great change for them abstractly right their product was really successful they had more clients than they knew what to do with it, but they didn't have the right response. They tried to force themselves into that situation by throwing bodies at it. They didn't analyze it critically and say, how should we, re- how should we adapt this change to make things better for our clients and ourselves, their company that what their skill was, they thrived on innovation. They thrived on unique ways of thinking. So I said, let's do what we do for our clients, for ourselves. And we redesigned our whole way of doing things. And that was a way, that's a way that you can approach change management. And I, and I, ta- I'll, I have a whole k- keynote that goes on for an hour yeah. uh, with a few uh, mind-reading examples to keep it a little bit more interesting that are illustrative of the things we're talking about. So I might get Mark on stage, for example, and have the audience throw a whole bunch of changes at him that might seem overwhelming and using the strategies that I s- instruct in he'll actually come out with a successful resolution and be able to actually do what we predicted, which will lead us all to to mutual success.
0: I've never heard of any uh, keynote quite like that.
1: Yeah, it's a lot of fun. So that way you're getting some information and you don't forget it. You don't zone out because you're going to remember it. You had a unique experience that actually is uniquely tied to what we're talking about. Uh, Because the thing is, when I say mind reading, I use that as shorthand. Mind reading's not real. I apologize to any listeners who think that it's real. It's not. I've tried to convince every girl I've ever dated that I can't read her mind. I don't get on stage and pretend. (laughs) So there's all sorts of psychological subtleties and interesting things you can do uh, to make that, to simulate that. Mark saw me do some of that just, what was it, last week? Yeah, just last week at one of these networking events where... Uh, well, I'll let you describe it instead of me describing. What 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 do you so what happened at that event?
0: Well, Seth did one of his really cool magic skits. There was another guy named Peter there. And he asked Peter to pick a card. Is that correct?
1: Well, you're thinking of a different circumstance, but that, that was a cool thing, too. That okay. we, It was when somebody thought of a name. This is oh. the, the whole thing, the, when I did a presentation for yes. the whole audience. That was a cool thing, too, though.
0: Yeah. Um, but nonetheless, uh, I was actually eating during that time, so I didn't pay super good attention. Oh, I see how you it is. Caught me red handed. I'm sorry. <laughs> but, uh, why don't you tell them what happened? It was cool, it was phenomenal.
1: Oh, well, we use psychology to determine a name that somebody was thinking about. So I asked him a series of questions that he answered silently in his head, and I observed his body language to figure that out. But the presentation was tightly coupled with the reason we were all here. We talked earlier about networking and icebreaking, so I was giving everybody a lesson in reading body language. It was a bit of a hyperbolic lesson, so we got a guy that I felt was particularly emotive up that people could really watch and observe his reactions he was a motive. yeah see you knew you, you did pay attention you do remember <laughs> and he i had him just think of any first name it didn't matter what it was just to keep it simple a first name and then asked him a series of questions and i observed his body language so i tried to figure out like male female based on the way his body leaned when i watched when i watched him and i also How observed did his body lean Oh, so for example, this is actually a common interrogation technique where you will move your... You'll you'll take a binary decision, like a yes-no decision, or in this case, a male-female decision. And I gestured with my left hand when I said the word male, and with my right hand when I said the word female. By the way, there's no meaning behind that. It could have been either either way. That's just how it came out. So whichever way... When I asked him to think of the word male or female is associated with the normal... Gender, traditional gender association of that name he then leaned very hard towards my left hand because I had gestured gesticulated basically with my left hand is that and my dad actually taught me this he's an attorney and he used to grill me when i was bad as a kid <laughs> when I, when i did something and say just yes or no you know, did you do this and he would actually gesticulate a yes or a no and he watched my eyes lean to uh, to a yes even though i lied to him as a kid and said no wow. and yeah and he could call me out on that so i asked him a bunch of questions like that to basically figure out the name that he was thinking of. And it was tied into explaining to people that they should be paying attention to people's body languages so that way they can communicate more effectively and share ideas and therefore network more effectively. So that was, kind of, that, that was how I tied that into what we were doing. And that's actually what I do for a living more. I mean, I love doing the pure entertainment. I would much rather, to be fair, come and do pure entertainment at an event. You know, <laughs> I do mostly corporate events and occasional upscale private events and I do a lot of client facing events and things of that nature, obviously holiday parties, things like that as well. That's very cool. But the one of the premium ways to, to make this more interesting and more valuable is to uh, provide a mes- message and so for client-facing events as well, it's providing that message and tying it in with their brand. So maybe you make help make an impossible magical keepsake with the Te Amo brand all over it. Maybe I produced a bottle of Te Amo from nowhere and, uh, and handed it to you as a product sample. And then while you were sipping it and we were talking, I did something cool with Mark's business card and left a little um, prediction on the back of it. And then that business card for Mark's becomes... A keepsake, a souvenir that that person keeps in their wallet, and when they go to a party, they say, "You know, I was at this cool thing where I drank this delicious tea, and I remember it's delicious because here I still have it in my wallet. Let me show you this guy's business card where he wrote a prediction. He had this magician that wrote this prediction on it, and then they're telling a story, and they have this positive association with your brand in the experience, and they're show, and that's the best marketing you can have is word of mouth marketing, positive word of mouth marketing, which is the hardest thing to generate for people and the hardest thing to get people to do is to talk about positive experiences and there they are carrying it around i've met people literally 20 years ago they still have something that i did for them either a playing card that was signed or somebody's business card or something that was created impossibly that had a picture of the product and the logo on it and they're carrying it around in their wallet still and telling people about it
0: that's really cool you mentioned how A positive emotion is something that's terribly difficult to get people to talk about. That there's a statistic that goes along with that. Do you know it? Yeah.
1: What I don't. I never remember the number. What is it? You tell like five people when you have a positive experience, and you tell fourteen people when you have a negative experience, something like that. So my goal is to increase the not only increase the positive experiences, increase the power of those positive experiences, but give you a. A mnemonic, a memory aid, a souvenir that you carry around that ignites that memory, and you want to carry it around, and you want to tell people about it, because if you've ever been to a party and David Blaine comes up, which happens all the time, or you know, Penn and Teller's fullest come up, or even just you're bored and you just open up your wallet and say, "Let me tell you this story," or. Iced tea comes up, and now you, know, somebody, people, you know, somebody's being served iced tea, and they go, "Oh my God, I'm now per- permanently have this memory association with iced tea." In fact, let me show you. I carry it around with me in my wallet, and let me tell you, Tayamo Te iced tea is the best iced tea because I have this wonderful memory association. Plus, it's delicious. I mean, I do <laughs> like your iced tea, but. But it helps if they have a positive experience with it. Coca-Cola spends millions and millions of dollars every year just trying to create positive memory associations with their brand, with their logo. So that's what I try
0: to, to do for people as well. That's a beautiful thing, Seth. So you're talking about how you are a source of marketing for people to generate the best type of marketing word of mouth. That's something my business... Often tries to do because it's the only thing we can afford to do right That's me telling the story, telling the message as you were saying to every person that comes by. But since this is a business and you're really selling yourself on like you know many businesses which have a product or a service, yours is a service but yours is also you, a human being, right? You sell yourself. how do you market yourself and sell yourself uh, to get all these clients? you know
1: it's mostly word of mouth at the moment and it has been since i went full time about 3 years ago doing all these things we've been discussing and more and gave up being a project manager i ran the PMO for fortune 500 bank and built a lot of regulatory systems mm-hmm. and did integrations of companies they bought and things like that before that i worked at a pharmaceutical vp of it and all that kind of stuff and this is much more interesting if i ever have to talk to somebody from the occ again for as long as i live it'll it'll be too soon <laughs> so so it's mostly been for the last 3 years uh as an entrepreneur myself mostly been word of mouth i have okay seo if you search pittsburgh magician i'm in the top 10 but for, but it's mostly word of mouth so the way i do it is uh i do the same thing for myself as i do for other people with that word of mouth where I might give you my business card with a prediction on it, for example, or help create something magical at an event that you keep and then go, man, you know, that was a great idea. Maybe I should hire a magician at my company's next event or for my next milestone birthday party or my next client-facing event because that's a great idea. And you have that thing that you kept. And it might have your logo on it, but really tiny in the corner will have my logo on it, which is my name. And so... I have a pretty unique name, Seth Newstein. Uh, as far as I know, the only one in the world. Wow. Yeah, there's a there's a Mark Seth Newstein in Florida, but that's it. That's his <laughs> middle name, so uh so therefore it's pretty easy to find me and the first thing that comes up is well, my website and then you can contact me and book me.
0: That's very cool, man. Yeah.
1: And uh, and you asked me to do a little fun demo for you of that kind of thing here. Yeah. And uh, so I actually wrote on the back of my business card here a little prediction. Oh, Mark is so smiling so oh much right gosh, now. He can't this even is wait. going to be great. We he doesn't even know what, what we're doing. So
0: Seth's so about to perform some magic through well, the airwaves for you guys, the visual yeah, so audience.
1: So it's a little bit of predictive. It's not really mind reading, as I said. Instead, this is kind of just a predictive thing based on what I've learned about Mark. And just to make it clear, we didn't set this up in advance. You have no idea what we're going to do or anything, right? That's true. Okay, great. You always have to say that on the radio so people don't think otherwise. And I've just got a few objects here. And actually, let me grab your harmonica, too. Okay, great. So I've got three objects here. And they're your harmonica, my wristwatch, and this uh, this nice little cross pen.
0: People are probably listening, like, what? What's it's a harmonica, like literally a harmonica. The anyway, same harmonica going.
1: he does for the opening. <laughs> so I've got these three objects here. And I'm gonna and I wrote a prediction here in advance on the back of my business card. And I don't want you to read it yet, Mark, because I don't want to influence your decisions that you're going to make here. Okay. And, in fact, I'm going to turn my head in a moment just so that way you don't think I'm trying to influence you with my gaze or my gestures or anything. And what you're going to do is you're going to pick up two of those objects. You will have to put the microphone down. I apologize. Okay. And you're going to pick up two of those objects, one in each hand. Now, the goal is not for me to figure out what's in your hands. I don't care because I'm already committed to this decision. I, the point is you're leaving me with one behind, okay? So go ahead and pick up any two of those, and you should be swift about it, because this is, would otherwise be boring radio while you think about it. All right. So have you done that? Do you have two objects, one left behind, one in each hand? Oh, p- wonderful. So you're leaving me with the harmonica, and you chose to pick up the watch and the pen, So uh, just hold one of them kind of behind you there. Wonderful. So you're choosing to uh, hide the pen, eliminate that one. Now, I made a prediction here, which is very interesting. And like I said, I wrote this prediction for you, so I'll hold the microphone up to you since both your hands are occupied. So the first line here was a prediction about what object that you would leave me holding here. So go ahead and read that line out loud.
0: You will be holding the harmonica. Which
1: I am. And, then, and that was uh, the very first decision that you made. You chose to make me be the one ho- left holding that one. And then I had a prediction on the second line about the object that you would be left holding in your hand, uh, which you are. So go ahead and read that one.
0: I will be holding the watch. Which he
1: is. And finally... And I even have it written there, finally, that is the very last decision that you would make, which of the objects that you would choose to hide from view that you would eliminate. Go ahead and read that.
0: Finally, the pen will be hidden, and it is... It is. I know, which
1: is pretty cool, right? <laughs> yeah. So if you so cool. made any decisions in any other orders, this would have come out differently. But based on what I've learned about your behavior and your decision-making patterns, and how you convinced me to buy this T-shirt from, he didn't give me this T-shirt. I bought this T-shirt. That's how good a salesman he is. And
0: <laughs> he's wearing a Tama T-shirt, by the way.
1: I am, and I'm proud of it. I'm wearing. Been wearing it all day long, all Beautiful. my business meetings instead Great. of my normal suit. They were like, "Why are you wearing this?" I said, "Because this is cool, dude." He sells his product. I'm going to be on his podcast. You should check it out. When awesome. it comes out, I'll, I'll publish it on Facebook, and you should, buy his, uh, you should buy his tea because it's really delicious. And I figured, well, why not? So, oh, I do want my pen back. You can have okay. your harmonica back, and I okay, want my watch great. back.
0: Beautiful. Awesome. I'm going to keep this card. Is that all right? Oh, that's for you to keep. Awesome. And
1: Sweet. that's exactly what we're talking about, right? So now you're going to want to hold on to that, Absolutely. I hope. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'll hold on to it for sure. I do a lot of visual
1: magic as well, but everything is all participative. That is, it's all about you. It's not watching me do something cool. It's Mark here got to do something cool. And we made an observation about what makes Mark special and pointed that out. And he got to make everything happen. And that's much more fun.
0: You definitely do have a way of putting the spotlight on the participants. As well as, typically Seth does a little opening. And it really, it's... A really beautiful talk that you give, especially with this group of entrepreneurs about how we are different, yet how we're all here in one spot, and the vehicle which allowed us to be here in one spot, you know, the Emmy group, the networking event. I love these networking events. They're in the most beautiful of co-working spaces. I remember the first one I was ever at, it was one on Forbes Avenue near the Pitt campus, I forget what it's called now. Do you know which one that is?
1: Oh, I don't remember what they... They renamed it. I don't remember.
0: Yeah. But nonetheless, another one was in Spaces. It's in the same building that Google's in. Uh, that was the last one we were
1: in. We've been there a few times now.
0: Yes. It's a beautiful space. Really open. Really makes you feel... It's new age co-working space, isn't
1: it? It's beautiful. I love being there. They even have like a little moat outside with a wooden bra- drawbridge and... Umbrellas and everything—it's beautiful. It's incredible. It's in Bakery Square, and uh, we, we've had it in Pro Suites Two, which is where their actual offices are located. This yes, this company, and that's on
0: the 49th floor of the U.S. Steel Building. Yeah, in yeah, they're one
1: of the. They're actually one of. They're just like similar to where we're at now. Factory unlocked in Industrious and PPG, where they offer inexpensive uh, hoteling spaces for companies to be able to have office space. And it and it's pretty great because you get, you know, a mailing address in the U.S. Steel Tower. And speaking of those other two places, we've had events here at Factory Unlocked, and we've had events in Industrious as well.
0: Yes, and Factory Unlocked's actually my favorite because it's because of an event that I went to here at Factory Unlocked that I got to meet the staff here at Factory Unlocked. They have an incredible team, uh, CMU graduates, uh, as well as a remarkable leader. Her name's Bernie Lynch. I got to meet them all, connected on LinkedIn, and then a couple months later, I went to one of their events I got invited to. It's called the Factory Unlocked Startup Boot Camp, and that's actually why we're sitting here right now. Um, they had a mentoring, uh, so to speak, uh, speed dating kind of with mentors, which you got to pass through all these different mentors that you know Bernie and the team assembled, uh, very talented people, specialized people in different uh, realms of of business that you got to speak with, really got to mentor you through certain specific uh, you know, aspects of your business for 10 minutes at a time. And at the end, the mentors picked the first, the second, and the third place for which uh, business they were more, most impressed with. They weighed a lot of different things. But Teamo, my organic tea business that plants a tree for every bottle we sell, ended up getting second. So now I got a six-month membership here and a uh, Factory Unlocked. And that's where we're actually having the podcast right now. And I'm a
1: big fan of planting trees, by the way. That's actually something that uh, that my, the culture that I come from, we do a lot of that where uh, when somebody's born or somebody has any kind of uh, special occasion – instead of a instead of a normal gift frequently what it is is we planted a tree in your honor and you get a little gift certificate for that so that's another one of the reasons that's why I'm beautiful. a big fan of Tayamo not the so biggest Oh uh the the Jewish culture
0: okay very cool
1: yeah yeah there's a lot of you know make the desert bloom kind of sentimentality make the world a better place so we planted a tree in your honor to make something wonderful where nothing used to be
0: maybe we should start planting trees for Te Amo milestones uh here and maybe my property or something that'd be
1: awesome too <laughs>
0: would be cool wow I love the story behind that
1: yeah and um actually that you reminded me of uh, of a couple of other things while we were talking about that go for because it. because it's this isn't while we're here talking about business this isn't there's also a lot about giving back into the community and so I know you're aware that I do a lot of charity work as well uh and speaking of, of oh before i get on to that just so everybody knows if you come to the networking events uh, you know feel free to reach out to to me or mark for more information on those they are free by the way there's no cost to those cuz i go to a lot of networking events where you have to pay to get in and these are not yeah. so these are really fantastic for that too it's free too and you'll meet some fascinating yeah. people in walks of life in the business that is you'll never not meet not
0: only is it free but they pay you they pay you with the experience of being up on you know uh, the, the One of the highest parts of Pittsburgh, the people you'll meet, the incredible people you'll meet. There's free booze. There's free food. Uh, two of my favorite things, you know.
1: It's true. <laughs> two of my favorite things, too. Although, <laughs> since I'm working, I'm never drinking there. But I get to drink all the beer a- that's left over afterwards. I got a whole case go. of it last time. <laughs> Beautiful. It, that was awesome. Still going through it, but <laughs> but speaking of giving back and doing a lot of those kinds of things, actually, if anybody is interested, uh, if you don't mind, I'm going to give a little bit of a it. plug for something. I'm not making any money on this. I'm actually losing money on this. I'm doing a, There's a, something called the James Bond Soiree. We're doing our seventh annual one this August 25th, and what it is is we're taking over all of Cake Nightclub and for an entire night and before that we're having a yacht party although i believe the yacht tickets are now sold out sadly but it's a benefit for the national kidney foundation we're having our seventh annual one this year and i'm one of the hosts for this so i'm helping organize the whole thing with my project management experience i wind up helping a lot of events happen at all that i wind up working at as well although i'm donating my time to this one and so I'll be doing James bond theme magic the whole time through. I actually have a perfect replica of the Golden Gun, and I'm going to be dressed up as the man with the Golden Gun. And Great. people are going to be signing things and shooting holes through them magically and all sorts of things. It's going to be a real good time. We have also have a casino, you know, again – it's gonna be a Chinese auction, and we have some dealer tables. We haven't—I haven't decided yet. I might be doing running the three shell game with my golden walnut shells, and uh, ripping people off for a good cause. But yeah. the rest of the games are, are, are fair. Mine's not. Mine's more of a game of wits, where if Mark comes up, I'm gonna to try to talk him out of the right bet, uh. or talk him into the wrong bet, or something like that. Oh, or if you come, or, or if you come up, I might make like the lady always win and the guy always lose, or something fun like that. It just depends. But uh, I'll also be walking around just doing cool James bond thing magic the whole time. We're partner with Pittsburgh Fashion Week. We're having a James Bond-themed fashion show where people are cast to look exactly like all the Bond girls and villains. And we got a guy who makes a living... Literally being James Bond, he looks exactly like Daniel Craig. Wow. Yeah, he goes around to trade shows pitching products for people as Daniel Craig and mm. James Bond. And he volunteers and flies in for this every year, too. And all these people after the fashion show will be walking around for photo ops and stuff like that. And the cost isn't that bad, either. I think just to get general admission, it's 35 bucks, and if you buy blocks of tickets, it goes down even less. But if you just look search for James Bond story on Facebook, you'll find or send, ask me for a link. Yeah, that'd and be I'll awesome. I'll send you a link. Like I said, I'm not making any money on this. I'm just trying to raise money for the National Kidney Foundation, and we can all have a great time at a nightclub for the occasion as well. That would be so, awesome. Yeah. So thanks for making letting me make the plug. By the way, it's just of people always say, "Hey, Seth, where can I see you perform?" And I don't do that many public appearances. The closest things are if i donate to a charity that's a ticketed event like this or if you come down to the you know to the to the me group networking events and those are those are kind of the rare exceptions but yeah. I, i'm usually at one me group networking event a month helping out with the ice breaking so
0: very that's cool. a good
1: way to see something awesome too
0: very cool i think it is awesome uh that's very cool how you're now a partner you mentioned
1: yeah yeah we, we have to work out a lot of the details, but we're we're promotional partners basically. That's where fantastic. we want to see each other succeed. Uh, I actually help run an online magic school where coincidentally a lot of the technology and methodology they're using for that for the entree app, which is formerly called Me University, is literally the way that they have it set up for for teaching courses and and being able to buy or watch uh, individual things that are useful to you, a la carte or pay mentors. So I've literally already helped a startup create this, which I still you know, am a mentor in and myself and help keep running behind the scenes all the time. So for, for Mike, it was like, wow, you, you've literally done what I'm already creating here. Let's see if we can put our heads together and help this new venture succeed. Because I believe in it. I want to see this happen. I want to see more startups happen. I want to see more businesses happen selfishly, even if nobody hires me for it, I just like making the world a place where that I want to live in, and that the people I care about want to live in, a better place for everyone, so helping out startups and entrepreneurs is one of the ways that I'm skilled at, so it's one of the ways of me giving back and making the world a better place, too. Just like Mark is here finding ways to do that, too.
0: Awesome. Sweet. So, Seth, what's one way that's pretty effective to read someone's body language to kind of see what someone's thinking well
1: we kind of discussed a few of those things too uh so there's other things too that are really basic things uh for example if you're talking to somebody and they lean way back from you, then they're distancing themselves from you. Whereas if they lean in and they're looking at you in the eyes as opposed to leaning back and looking somewhere else, then they're engaged in what you have to say. That's something that's basic. Uh, footwork is very important too. That's something that a lot of people ignore and I spend time doing intentionally. Uh, I think we've actually had a discussion about that at at these networking events where what you do is when you position yourself in a networking event, the idea is you don't want to have a closed conversation with someone, but you still want to make them feel engaged, that what they're saying is important to you and that you're listening. So what you do is that you plant one foot and turn it towards the person or the group of people that you're talking to or talking to you, and then you have another foot that's intentionally planted away from them Normally, if feet are planted away from people, it's a sign that you're trying to distance yourself from them. Whereas if your feet are facing someone, you're engaged with that person. So by planting one foot towards you and one foot away, what happens is it forces my body to pivot mostly towards you, but have part of my body pivoted away. And then I turn my head to look in your eyes so you see that I'm engaged. And then people will see, they'll say oh, this person, they're engaged with this person, but it's not an exclusive conversation. If both of my feet were at you and I was pointed directly at you, it feels exclusive and you feel awkward interrupting. If I'm half open that way, I'm literally being welcoming, saying, hey, it's okay, come on and join this group. So I'm always standing that way at a networking event because even though I'm usually engrossed in what you're saying and I'd actually rather talk to you one-on-one because you're so fascinating, Mark. And I'm not just saying that it's true. Technically, I should be welcoming people in, so I'm going to stand that way intentionally, and then people will feel more at ease walking up and trying to engage our conversation.
0: That is a very good point.
1: Yeah, and especially when you're in a circle of people, that makes it easier for somebody to walk up to the circle. So you may have noticed when you're in a circle, I'm frequently the person people walk up to if they're going to break the ice. And the reason is because I've made that opening for them. Everybody else is standing pointed at each other in that circle. They're intimidating because they've made it clear through their body language that they're focused on the other people. Very good point. I'm the person who's intentionally through my body language made it welcoming. You don't even know that. Consciously, unless you know these kinds of things but subconsciously you pick up on those things and you'll say that person seems welcoming i don't know who to talk to i need to talk to someone i gonna talk to that person he's talking to all these interesting people but look at him i could just walk up to him and he'll get me involved you just subconsciously feel that way what else so oh geez so we've we gone for ages uh so we're, we're talking, of there's like the whole arms cross thing. If somebody has their arms crossed, and I, th- this is another one, one of the things where my dad used to te- teach me this, when I would sit there and he would lecture me about things when I was bad, or we're just talking in general, he would say Seth, uncross your arms. And I would not understand because I thought I was just being comfortable, but what happens when you have your arms crossed is, and you should try this out as an exercise for yourself, relax and just Pay really close attention to your state of mind and then cross your arms firmly for a while and then think about how that affects your state of mind. And also think about when somebody's standing to you and they have their arms crossed, how that makes them feel as opposed to if their arms are by their side or what their hands are doing in general is going to give a different feeling. So crossing your arms is basically kind of like a closed-minded kind of a thing. And it's almost an aggressive stance, like a challenging stance. And it affects the rest of your body as well. It hunches up your shoulders. So somebody with their shoulders hunched, they're more aggressive, they're more on guard. Somebody with their shoulders down they're more at ease, they're more open to you, with their arms open or their hands gesture towards you or their palms towards you, things like that. These are different ways of being open or close to somebody in a conversation or different ways of showing that you're aggressive or you're afraid or you're timid or you're just not comfortable. There's a, there's a lot of subtleties involved here, but these are just start paying attention to these kinds of things when you're talking to people in your body language and in others. So Mark is sitting here right now and he is leaned back, but that's because he's comfortable. He's reclining as if we were standing and he was leaned back, that'd be different, but he's reclining in a comfortable situation. So he's taking a position of authority. He's being a bit of a leader by being comfortable and leaning back with a, with kind of one hand on his side like that. But he's also got his, uh, but he's also got his arm kind of comfortably leaning, holding the microphone towards his mouth, and he's nodding a lot and he's smiling. Uh, his his eyes have that kind of the, the the pupils dilated, so they're open, so he's engaged, and he's got that squint from his smile from from his eyes because he's his natural smile, which tells me that he's having a, actually having a good time and not faking that I smile.
0: Am. This is incredible. I'm learning yeah. so much. I'm fascinated. So he's
1: genuine. He's not disingenuous about anything. And his head is actually inclined and leaning towards me. So he's actually listening and he's engaged with what I'm saying. So that, that's a way that he's, even though he's reclining, he's showing me that he's still engaged. And so, so that's very interesting. And, yeah, I mean, his feet are just up all over the place, but that doesn't count because he's reclined. <laughs> uh, this, so. this
0: is incredible. I mean, some of these things... After you say them, they're common sense. But when you're thinking about it, it's hard to distinguish because you're so used to people, you know, just being people, just doing their own things around you. You don't think that maybe uh, because they're in interaction with you that that affects how they're being. But I'm starting to think, you know, at these networking events or just in life, when people are, for example, do have their arms crossed or anything – they're defensive, so to speak, right?
1: Right, and it's interesting you said that. You sh- th- that means a lot to me because it means that hopefully I'm explaining something in a clear way to understand. Because these aren't ro- not really simple concepts. They're not, but once they're clearly understood, it when somebody says what you just said, which is, Wow, well, it makes so much sense. Like, I, like, like I should have known that. It when it means is that it was explained in a clear and concise way. So it means that we're communicating effectively. I don't know if that makes sense.
0: No, that definitely does make sense. Are there any other things, like hands or something?
1: Oh, there are all <laughs> sorts of things. But I tell you what, so we've been talking about this and part of that communication, and since I do public speaking and try to impart lessons too, and that's the thing, like you saw from My Magic, My Magic is supposed to be didactic in nature where you come away uh, enlightened by the experience, not just of having uh, had a good time. So why don't you... Evaluate me. Tell, tell, say how you observe how I'm sitting and how I'm engaged with you. And say what you think that is based on that, based on my body language.
0: Your eyes tell me you're constantly looking at me to see how I'm reacting to you. You're very observative in that manner. I think the way you speak, I pay attention more so to that. The way you speak is one of definitely trying to make other people understand what you're saying. And I feel like that comes um, from two different things because you're quite intellectual. I believe that comes from you being so smart that you want to you don't want to go over people's heads. But at the same time, you want to be able to explain to people the same things uh, using that intellect that, you know. Right. So I believe that your head is forward. You just taught me that. So you've been engaged this whole time. I can tell obviously you're very excited to be on this podcast. I mean, I knew that before we even started the podcast.
1: Oh, well, the energy is there. But also it, these are really good observations and I appreciate the compliments. You make me blush. But <laughs> but, but also look look at the way that my like look, we were talking about shoulders and my hands and the way I'm pointing and everything else. And actually take a quick peek under the tables. take a look at my feet. In the way that I'm sitting. So, what what does that tell you? Describe that and say and say what that tells you about our conversation and how I feel about it.
0: You're rested yet engaged. You are planted uh, in your position, meaning you're made yourself comfortable to really uh, be able to sit and put your full attention into what you're doing. Your hands down on the table, which I have no clue what it means.
1: <laughs> oh well, that's actually resting position. Okay. So we were
0: talking about pointing before. You notice that my hand it's down on
1: the table, but my all my hands are spread out in an open gesture, and it's all pointing at you. And likewise, when you look down underneath, I was asking you also look at my feet because my feet are pointed directly at you, which is causing my whole body to just be on point to you and when I'm looking you in the eyes all the time in short as you mentioned I'm, I'm occasionally sweeping over almost like when you're driving a car where you're focused but you need to make sure you have the full picture I'm trying to get everything from you so I can pick up on anything as a positive or negative warning sign so there's that engagement and same thing with see how I'm leaning forward that's why my hands like that so I can lean forward so I'm leaning forward very much with head, so it's it's interest. It's not just that I'm paying attention to you. It's that what you're saying is important and of interest. Are you get Are you picking? Like, is that the feeling you had for me? Because that's what I'm trying to convey oh, yes. with my body language.
0: Oh yes, you're very much trying to pick up on everything, It's is very cool.
1: Yeah. So um, I don't know. T- t- Since we've had this little back and forth here about body language, I don't know. Hopefully this has been helpful to some of the viewers as well. And these are really useful to me in business, in day-to-day life, in any kind of relationship, both social and business or mixed. That's kind of part of why I went into business for myself was to be able to pick and choose who I get to deal with. Like I said, if I ever deal with a federal agent again, it's too soon. (laughs) In that that regard, I mean, all that regulatory stuff. And it's, So that's the thing is being able to just engage with people that I like, like people like Mark. Otherwise, I w- wouldn't have ever had this opportunity, and I appreciate that.
0: Hey, I appreciate you coming on today. So there's one thing I love to ask people right before we finish our podcast. It's what's your favorite quote and why?
1: Oh, man, you should have actually prepared me for that one. That's I don't know. A,
0: that, see, I don't like preparing people for this one.
1: If you ask me 10 minutes from now, it's going to be something completely different. So this is just a good quote. Okay. But there's a quote that uh, Jim Rohr, the ex-CEO of PNC while I was working there, was very fond of, which I think was appropriate to what we were talking about here, because he he, he was fond of saying that his job was to shed light where none is needed. And that was his way of making humor, of the fact that frequently his job as the leader was to point out the elephant of the room or to talk about the positive things or to enlighten people or to elucidate people into things where people felt that no light or insight was needed. You felt that you were comfortable socializing with people but you've learned all these things and you said, oh my God, now that you said it, it makes so much sense. Like I knew it all this time but didn't. And that's kind of that same thing is being able to elucidate, to shed light. That's a very valuable skill. And that was a very valuable lesson that I learned from him when he would say that. So is, in essence,
0: to not only teach people, but a step deeper to allow an environment for other people to learn from. And in that case, you get sort of an enlightenment versus, uh, you know, information being thrown at you. And that's the method of learning.
1: Right, but it was also a method of presentation for success. Because how often has somebody told you something that you need to hear it and you hate that person for the rest of your life because they were such a jerk about it, right? And they go, I remember, oh, yes. I'm such a straight shooter, I tell it like it is. No, they're being a jerk, right? <laughs> I'm sorry, that's just, that's just how it is. But if you say it in a fun way and you lead them around to that, so that was why he was saying his job isn't to tell people that, they need to hear something, his job was to shed light where none is lead it needed, which is literally saying, I'm going to tell you something that should be, that is obvious to me, but may or may not be to everyone else and explain it, so that way we can make money on it, but I'm going to tell you in a way that you're going to like, and you're going to enjoy hearing, and you're going to remember it, Absolutely. and then you'll like me better for having told you that thing that you actually needed to hear, and you didn't even know you needed to hear. And that's a big thing, too, is root cause analysis and analytical analysis of getting at what the heart of problems really are.
0: That's tough. Yeah. That's a tough thing.
1: That's that's a skill to develop, and that's actually why I went into all the different things that I went into.
0: Now, I had a quick question, uh, another one to ask you that came into my mind, just because I also want to talk about it. So we were talking about something that someone told us that we didn't want to hear. Right. Yeah. Or that was, you know, maybe rude to hear.
1: And I've certainly gotten in trouble plenty of times for that, too. telling
0: other people that?
1: Telling people, literally answering the question they asked. They say, help me with this thing. And I say, well, in order to help you with this thing, what you're going to need to do is you're going to need to get liability insurance, which means that you're going to have to start, you know, being up to code for safety and things like that. And now the messenger telling them the thing that they want to hear. Yeah,
0: (laughs) absolutely. Now, uh, indeed, with that, I used to sell knives. And when I sold knives, I there was this two-week period where I didn't do very well, and it's just because I wasn't putting that much effort into it. So this another top uh, knife seller, his name's Hank. He's a couple years older than me, and he's a beast, like multiply, uh, multiple times better salesman than I was uh, when selling knives. And he comes up to me, he's like, "How'd you do this week?" I'm like, "Ah, you know, not too good." And he looks at me, and he said. Stop being a pussy and hit the phones. And then he walked away. And then I was like, you freaking asshole, like in my mind. But then it struck me so deep, and it was so true, and it was so raw, and it was so everything that I'm like, you know what? I am being a pussy. I need to hit the phones. Well, you know,
1: sometimes you need that shock. Yes. You know, there, there's a skill in telling people things nicely. There's a skill. There's that skill in the Socratic method in getting them to come around to the right answer themselves. I mean, I, I had two best friends that became nurses and I was telling them for years that they should be nurses because they have the right personality for it. And finally, one day they had this bright idea that they should be nurses and I didn't go well, you mean like I've been telling you to? No, I said, Oh, that's awesome news. I'm so glad to hear that. You know, they just, we slowly over time guided them to that decision that has made their life happy and more fulfilling. And they're really, really good nurses too. They have wonderful careers. And I'm really happy for them. So there's that method. And sometimes and you got to be careful about it though, because you can alienate people, right? Sometimes you need to shock somebody into into that and they just need to hear something harsh i think
0: perhaps people now me and seth actually have the same personality type enfjs with our personality type you're empathetic emotionally guided right Mm -hmm. um and we make decisions on things uh we have kind a little more quicker than most people i agree with that 100 percent. my mom she can't make a decision no offense mom if you're listening to this
1: you ever been to 16 personalities.com by the way
0: Yeah, that's... that's So we're protagonists. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So I love being that. And I think people with our personality type um, tend to perhaps need uh, a rude awakening like me, like how I got, right? There's this one dude. um, I'm his mentor right now. He comes to all the cool networking events. And I'm like, bro, what have you been doing uh, this summer? He's like, ah, you know, I, you know... Uh, walking around the question making uh, excuses but also um, really not wanting to confront what you know he's just watching Netflix all day right or stuff like that which we've all done right but nonetheless I'm like I just had to shock him back into reality and ever since then for the past week he's been more productive in a week than he has been all summertime so it's really that shock and he's also an ENFJ by the way
1: Oh, well, that means he handles it a little better. That's an interesting thing about that personality type is things, ro- insults and things roll off of them a little bit better. There are other personality types where you do that, that person is going to harbor that for the rest of their lives and hate you and everything in between. So you got to know. It's a, that's why we were talking about it's a know your audience kind of a thing. Yes. So the more you understand about people and the way you can figure out what their probable proclivities are more upfront the the more likely you are to be able to engage with them and make a good first impression and then make continuing lasting impressions so and that's kind of what i study in order to be able to do this for ice breaking and to make magic happen literally and figuratively awesome
0: awesome well seth thanks so much for being on the show today it was an absolute blast anything else you'd like to throw out to our fishbowl audience
1: Drink Tayamo tea, it's really
0: delicious. <laughs> awesome. And with that, thank you for listening to episode nine of the fishbowl, and we'll catch you next time. <laughs>